preparing tax returns is different than tax strategy. And so I think a lot of people have that miscommunication with a lot of their tax preparers, and then they get angry when they just told me in March that I owe this, but they didn't tell me how to reduce it. Because in March, when we're filing your tax return, it's too late to actually implement strategies. And now you're listening to the Sugar Free Podcast. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Ooh, right here with me. It's where you wanna be. Wanna be. Let's get it sugar free. Yeah. Now tell me, girl. Me, girl. How you like your tea? How you like your tea? You know it's sugar free. Hey friends, how you doing? Good, good, good. I'm so glad to have you back for episode two of season two of the Sugar Free Podcast. Oh, it always feels so good to say season two. Don't it, friends? Season two, season two, season two. Yes. So excited to be back for season two. And you know what else I'm loving about season two, friends? I was sitting down listening to last week's episode. And you know what really just had me grooving? That OG theme song. Oh, I love the OG Sugar Free theme song. Oh, I know the remix was good, but that theme song just had me jamming it just gets me in the mood for another episode of the sugar free podcast oh i'm so excited to be here so this week friends we are having a very important conversation oh it's an important conversation because we are starting our making money moves series yes friends so throughout the season we're going to have different financial planners advisors attorneys tax professionals everyone that touches money we're gonna have them here at the tea party so that they can help us get our finances together our lives together so that we can be out here making these money moves yes and so today we are talking about taxes (laughs) oh lord have mercy child oh the least favorite part of money, right? Giving it away. Just giving it away for free. And so that's what we're talking about. Because who really wants to give their hard-earned money away without a fight? Anyone? Bueller? Literally no one? Okay, perfect. That's what I thought. Me either. So that's why I brought today's guest to the tea party for the first installment of the Making Money Move series income tax saving strategies for regular people now why am i calling us regular people friends because well you know most of the tax saving strategies that i know about deal with tactics and strategies for business owners but what if we don't have a business heck what if we don't have children or we aren't married or own real estate right all those traditional deductions that we hear about all the time What if we don't have those? Well, if you don't have those or qualify for any of those deductions, first of all, friends, that makes you a regular person. 
And second of all, that makes this conversation just for you, okay? Now, before we get into this episode, can I share with y'all a little poem I wrote? Because y'all know, you know, I'd be creative and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the poem that I have is just for us, and I call it the Millennial Blues. So here we go. Uncle Sam, Mr. Trump, and Uncle Joe. Got me out here struggling like one fish, two fish, old fish. Can't afford no new fish. So broke, I think that I'll try that new delicacy, that new dish. I think they call it ramen, like that cheek dish. That's that weak-ish, that sleek dish, like a cheese it for a gift. It's a weakness. It's the millennial blues, son. Now we've whined and we've cried about it. So it's over and done. Let's come and get this knowledge so we can overcome. <laughs> Yes, let's overcome, friends, and get into this episode. So let's start off today by introducing today's guest, accountant, CPA, owner of the Savvy Accountant, and Miss Get Our Entire Lives Together, Miss Atia Brown. Atia, welcome to the tea party. Please tell the good people who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. So my name is Atiya Brown. I am a CPA by trade. I'm licensed in both Canada and in the U.S. because I'm originally from Montreal, Canada, and I love all things taxes. I created the Savvy Accountant CPA firm where we are savvy at solving your tax issues, and I do handle all things taxes. So whether you are looking for a tax strategy to help you reduce your taxes that way or you need help with taxes because you've kind of fallen behind and got into some issues with the IRS or state agencies, I'm able to represent you before the IRS and help you solve those tax issues. Yay. I love that. So I have a, <laughs> you are the perfect person to talk about what we're discussing today, which is tax strategies for the average person, the individual person with no businesses. Cause I find that a lot of people when I'm scouring the internet, cause you know, everybody gets all their information from social media <laughs> these days. And when people give tax advice, they're always talking about starting a business and how it relates to LLCs and this, that, and the third. But what if you don't have a business, you know what I mean? And what if you don't want to start an LLC, but you still want to figure out ways to save some money and develop a tax strategy. So how did you get into tax accounting and CPA and all that? So that's a good question. I actually have always been obsessed with numbers. And when I went into college, I actually went for actuarial math. And I thought I was going to kind of become like an underwriter at an insurance company. And when I realized that I'm an extrovert and a lot of the people in that industry are not. And I was kind of looking around and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to kind of fit in here. So I took my first accounting class in university. It was, I just took a class and then I got really well. And one of my teachers in my first tax course, she was actually a dual licensed CPA in Canada and in the US. And she's like, I want you to try out for this team. So I was like, okay. So I tried out and I made the team. And what it was, was a team of three. And we competed against other colleges in Canada. And we placed third in our first year. And that's where like my obsession with tax came in. So up until like I was an adult, I didn't even realize that I enjoy taxes as much. Hmm. Cool. I know I don't. <laughs> Look, this is still a struggle for me every single year. So so excited to have you here. So excited to get into this topic because who wants to give away more of their hard earned 
money than they should. Like nobody. nobody. <laughs> right. Nobody. Literally nobody. And so to get us started, what are taxes? <laughs> so taxes is the revenue that the government collects in order to be able to pay for things that everybody kind of has benefit of using. So when you think of the, like how a city is run, the government has to fix the roads, they have to collect that money somehow. And so that's where taxes kind of comes from. It's you paying your fair share of the income that you earn for everybody to fix and take care of everything that needs to happen. So paying for schools, hospitals, all of those things are paid for with tax dollars. And so that's basically what they are. It's a piece of the money that you earn so that the government can take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. Gotcha. So obviously there are different kinds of taxes and, you know, like yes. if you go to the grocery store <laughs> and you, you buy some food, you're going to see a line item at the bottom for taxes or, you know, anything that we basically buy is going to have some type of tax on it. So today we're talking about income taxes. So, what are income taxes specifically and how are they calculated? Yep, that's a great question. So income taxes is the tax that's imposed against the earned money that you make. So whether it be from earned wages, such as a W-2 employment, or you're going to also pay income taxes on any earned income. So if you do have a business, that's going to be considered earned income and you're going to pay taxes on that. So that's what income taxes on. It's like, or if from, you sell a house, if you sell, a, <laughs> well, if you sell a house, it's going to actually be a capital gains tax. So that is okay. a separate tax. Okay. Um, okay. But so there are, <laughs> and I tell people all the time, most people know about income taxes, but they don't realize that there are so many different taxes, sales taxes, like you said, on consumer goods, there are excise taxes, there's going to be capital gains taxes when you sell an asset. There are so many taxes, inheritance tax. So there's a lot of taxes that people pay that they don't really realize because they kind of just say taxes, but they all kind of do something different and they all have different rates. And <laughs> so that's okay. what income taxes are on your okay. earned income. That, that, that's a good place <laughs> to start <laughs> because I do remember from income tax class that uh, income tax is derived from all sources. But if you have like, let's say a rental property and you earn income from the rental property, that would count even if this that would count. Income. Yeah. OK, so how are income taxes calculated? So income taxes are calculated by kind of you're pulling together all of your sources of income. You're going to apply the deductions that are applicable. So Typically, if we're talking about an individual that has a W-2 employment, so the W-2 wages are going to be totaled and then the deductions are going to apply against that. So they might be able to do the standard deduction, which is a deduction that everybody filing a tax return has access to. It's kind of an easy way for the government to give the deduction without you having to do too many steps. So you can have standardized or you can have itemized. So wait, wait, itemized, back, back up, back up, yep. back up. Back up, back up. <laughs> So every single person who files taxes has access to this standard deduction. Yep. What What is it and how much is it? Like, flesh yeah. this one out. Yes. So the standard deduction <laughs> for 2022 is 12950 So in the current year that we're in, individual single taxpayer is going to get $12,950 in the deductions. If they, you can itemize and itemize is when you actually have to keep track of what you're going to be claiming as that deduction. So your itemized deductions are going to include your taxes. Certain taxes are able to be deducted like property taxes, um, 
state taxes are able to be deducted. You're going to have your, if you have a mortgage, your mortgage interest, that's going to be able to be deducted. Then you also have donations. So your charitable donations, um, those are able to be deducted on under your itemized deductions. You also have medical. Medical is one that it has a threshold to hit. So a lot of people don't hit it, um, but that's able to be itemized. And so you keep track of all of those itemized deductions and if that is higher than the standard deduction, then you use the itemized. But for people that if you don't have any of those other deductions, you get the 12,950 automatically. Okay. So I have a question about that because mm-hmm. this is like the first time I have ever heard of a standard deduction that was available. I've always heard of like the itemized things because you always hear about people. Oh, let me donate to such and such so I can Mm -hmm. get the the tax deduction or get that benefit. And so that's how I've always thought of deductions. So say I do own a business and I'm a single member LLC, but it's so it's just me and I'm paying tax or filing my deductions for my business, can I count those towards my itemized deductions to potentially push myself over the $12,000 limit for the standard deduction? Or do those have to be taken separately? So it's separate. So the deduction, I know the word is the same in both, but the deduction for your business is separate from the deduction for the personal, the individual. So the standard deduction is going to apply against the individual. So that's going to be on the face of your return. Whereas the deductions for the business, that's going to be on your schedule C. So you're going to have the income from the business and then all of the deductions that go against that. And that's going to give you the net amount. And that net amount is going to flow through to the front of your tax return. But those deductions go against the income that you generate in that business. And then that net amount is going to be your earnings from your business. And that's going to flow to your personal, the face of your tax return. And then your standard deduction is going to apply against all of your income sources, including that. But it's not the same deduction. So it's kind of like two sets of deductions that are treated differently, if that makes Mm, sense. It does. It does. I just... I asked specifically as the single member LLC, because I know that, like you said, it's a schedule that's included. It's not exactly. necessarily a separate. So I was like wondering about that. OK, OK, so I need some more answers about this standard. deduction. <laughs> so would you say that most people end up taking the standard deduction or do a lot of people have enough itemized deductions to where they're able to do that. And then like, how much money do you have to spend on these items, whether it be like your property taxes or mortgage interest, what have you, in order to exceed the 12,000 whatever threshold for itemized deductions? Like is is my little $50,000 condo going to get me there? (laughs) So, so to answer your question, it really depends because before the Trump um, reform on the taxes that happened for twenty in twenty eighteen, the standard deduction was about half. So it went from like six thousand to twelve thousand, and so in kind of like the old tax place, it was really it was split. It really just depended on the taxpayer's situation that year. And so they would do itemized if it was more or standard if it was if the standard was higher. With the new reform, they kind of doubled the standard deduction. And I think it was designed to make things more simplified so that more people would take the standard. 
because under the old session, if it was 6,000 and most people had 9,000, so they would be doing the itemize. With the itemize, there's more things to check, right? You have to verify all these things. So if they, now that they moved it to 12,000, the assumption is that it's simpler, it's higher than what the average itemized was before. And so I think under the new system, more people than under the old one are doing standardized, but it still depends on the situation. Because I know if you're in a high tax state, like New York, California, New Jersey, your property taxes are probably over that standard deduction threshold. So mm-hmm. those states are probably going to have higher instances of people doing itemize because they are they have they pay high taxes. Um, so part of the reform was they put a cap on the property taxes that you can take on the itemize. So it's capped at ten thousand, mm. and so there so that's one of the caps. But then you can have your deduct your um, charitable donations, so that can still put you over the hump. Um, so it really depends on the situation, but for your specific situation, you always want to make sure that you understand what both are. So you take the one that's most beneficial for you. This sounds like a, a scam. <laughs> <laughs> because I say that because so if you're in these high tax states where, you know, before you were able to receive a huge tax benefit just from your property taxes alone. And now they've capped that at 10,000. And so the only way now to get bumped above the standard deduction threshold is like, I don't know, donating to charity. That sounds like it's going to by and large benefit wealthy people because who else is donating tons and tons of money to who got the money to donate to charity or old people or you know who have the medical expenses uh deduction or you know like typically it sounds like it's not going to favor young people and really if you're in those high tax states you got to be able to afford to buy a house and most young, young people can't even do that so are deductions the only tool that we have to minimize our taxable income? And if so, if I'm a single person, what do I do? No. So there are definitely (laughs) other ways that you can do it. Um, But so there are two ways that you can reduce your tax liability. It's going to be deductions or credits. Credits are harder to come by, but they're more beneficial. So the way I tell people is deductions reduce your tax liability by your marginal tax rate. And so I'm going to try to break that down into a way that's easier. So so if you have $100 as income and then you have a deduction of $8 and so now your net amount is $2, your taxes are now going to be calculated on that $2. So you're going to take whatever 10% on that $2, right? Wait, 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 back up, back up. You said I have $100. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I have $8. Um, I'm at 80. I'm sorry. Oh, eight. So okay, you have okay, 80. Okay. I thought I said 10 and then eight and then two. So okay, hundred okay. and then 80 in deductions. And then okay. you have 20. And so okay. now your taxes are going to be calculated on that 20. And so you're going to take that 10% of 20. So your deductions reduced your tax liability. Cause if you didn't have that 80 deductions, you would be paying taxes on the hundred. Right. So it reduces your tax liability, but only by a marginal amount. Right. It's going to whatever that margin is of that 10 percent of your tax rate, that's what it's going to reduce it by. A credit is now applied after your taxes are determined. So in that scenario, you had the 100, then you had 80. So now you're left with 20. 
your credit, if you have a credit of $10, that's going to be applied against what you have to pay in taxes. So your credit directly reduces your tax liability dollar for dollar, depending on what the credit is. But there's not like there's not that many credits available, as you can imagine, because, like I said, it's more beneficial tax wise. So ways that individuals who have regular jobs can look. To- Wait, can, before we before we move on to that, I yep. I need you to break down that marginalized tax <laughs> deduction. More time. So we have one hundred dollars mm-hmm. and we have eighty dollars in deductions. And so now we're left with. left in taxable income. And so if the deduction, the marginalized deduction is 10%. If the tax rate. Mm -hmm. Or the tax rate. Okay, the tax rate is 10%. They're going to, like, what is that 10% applied to? That 10% is going to now be multiplied by your 20. And that's going to be what you have to pay in taxes. Oh, okay. 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 So I only have to... So whatever I get after I multiply the 10% by the 20 is what I have to pay. Your tax liability. Yeah. So $2. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. But that's, that's not bad. Even if I don't get a credit because I still have only to pay $2. Yes. In that scenario, (laughs) but that's how it works. So the deduction reduced what your, your taxable income is going to be. And then your taxes are calculated on that. Whereas a credit comes into play after, and then it's applied to what you have to pay in taxes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. 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 So um, I, I didn't mean to, to interrupt, oh, you're good. <laughs> but you're that good. was like, I was like, wait, what is going on? Okay. So we, we were moving on from the, um, the tax credit and you were saying that those aren't really available. Yeah, so there's specific tax credits. So there's credits for income. So that are income based, like earned income tax credit, which is for lower, um, like lower taxpayers who are earning lower, less amounts. You have education credits, but they don't apply if you're not in school. So credits are harder to come by. And so that's why when you're dealing with tax strategies, it's not as like, you can't just be like, I'm going to apply this credit because credits are for specific situations. And I mean, I think it's written into the tax code because of the way they work, because they reduce your actual tax liability. There's not a credit out there for every single thing. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to absorb because y'all know math, (laughs) y'all know math is not my ministry. So I'm really proud of myself for keeping up today, even though we are using very round numbers. Mm -hmm. Listen, even the round (laughs) Even the round ones are liable to trip me up. So I want to go back for a second to talk about the tax rate. What is a tax rate and how is it calculated? Yep. So for income tax purposes, there are there is like a marginal tax rate. It's and it goes from 10 percent to 37 percent. Um, under the, the new Trump administration, they changed it. It used to go to 39.6. And so they reduced it a little bit, but that's kind of where the tax rates come from. And so each bracket is going to have a range of income that it's taxed at that bracket. So when it goes from 10, 000, from 10% to 12%, there's a range of income that falls into that bucket. And that range of income is going to be taxed at that that percentage. Does that make sense? 
Yes, yes. So just for an example, let's say a range of incomes may be between $100,000 and $200,000. There will be a specific tax rate for every single person that fits into that band of income levels. So is that before or after your deductions? That is after. So and that's what I mean where I say your deductions is going to reduce your tax liability by your marginal tax rate. So if you didn't apply, like in our example of 100 of income, if you didn't apply that deduction, let's say you would fall into the tax bracket of the 20% because your, in, because your taxable amount would be 100. But now that you applied the deductions, it brought you down to the 20. And so now your rate for $20 is the 10%. Ooh, okay, okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. (laughs) So, okay, so back to deductions again. So we talked about the deductions that most people can take, the mortgage interest, the medical expenses. Is there any limit to the number of deductions that you can take or you can just take them however much you have or like, are they capped? So there are caps. So like we talked about the salt, so state and local taxes, um, those are capped at $10,000. Your your donations. So if you were donating to charity and let's, there are some people that are, you know, they donate a lot. It's going to be capped at a percentage of their gross income. So it's going to be capped at that percent. So you're not going to be able to say, I generated $100,000 in gross income. I'm not going to be able to donate $200,000 and say that that is what my donation amount is going to be. So you're going to be capped at what your AGI is, and it's a percentage of your AGI, um, your aggregated gross income. And so it's at 100% for the current year, which is a temporary change that they made because of the whole virus and stuff. But it's typically uh, 60%. And I might have to double check that, but it's typically not your, your total AGI. It's a percentage of it, but now it's at 100%. And... They also made a change with this whole new, because of the situation we're in, you're allowed $600 of cash donations above the line. And so when I say above the line, that means as part of those, that $80 deduction. So before, without considering your standard deduction. So donations used to fall only under itemized deductions. So it was either standard or your itemized. Now they allow you to have up to 600 as part of your general deductions and and you don't have to itemize in that situation. Ooh, interesting. So just so to clarify, so we, (laughs) we talked about how when you're calculating deductions, you can either do the standard deduction, which is a blanket 12,000 something, Mm -hmm. or if your deductions exceed the 12,000 something, then you can do the itemized deductions so that you can get as many deductions as you can if you're above the 12,000 threshold. So with this new charitable donation deduction, you can apply the standard deduction, but you can still add up to $600 above that So it's kind of like a hybrid standard itemized (laughs) if you donated to charity up to $600 this year. 
Yep. Well, last year, I wish we had oh, told yeah. the people this. <laughs> I wish we had told the people this in 2021 because now it's too late. We can't take advantage of it. But one other thing that I did want to ask you about, specifically relating to pandemic taxes, because we all about to pay our pandemic taxes uh, coming up real soon. So those stimmies. Yeah. Our stimmies, girl. So it, all the money we got in stimmies, are they adding that to our taxable income? So it's not added to your taxable income. So what happens with the stimulus payments is that was a credit. So remember I said credits come like they don't come that way. That was a credit that was created because of the situation we we're in. And they, they decided to send them in advance. So what it is, it's you got the funds in advance, but that credit is for your current tax year. So what is supposed to happen is the same way a credit works, where it reduces your tax liability, like once you figure out that amount that you need to pay, that credit would be applied to that to reduce it. But because you received it in advance, they basically just put it in the calculation as if you had already paid it. What's hap what happened in the first year with the stimulus payments was there was a lot of issues. A lot of people received stimulus payments. They didn't let the tax preparer know or they forgot. So there was a lot of notices that went out because the government was like, no, they actually did get this. We sent them this amount. And so there was a lot of discrepancies. So what the government did this year is for any stimulus payments that went out in 2021, they're sending a letter to every taxpayer in January. That's going to be the letter is 6475. And that letter is going to state what you received. And so that's going to be taken to your tax preparer so they can actually see what you received versus what you were qualified for. So the reason that there's a discrepancy, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't understand why there's, there's a discrepancy. There's a discrepancy because they gave these funds in advance, but they could only be basing it on last year's income, right? So whatever you reported on your tax return last year is kind of what they have to go by to see, does this person need these um, relief funds? So if you made, let's say you made $20,000 last year and, you know, they were like, okay, that's enough for us to give them stimulus payments. But you had a job this year that you landed and you made a hundred thousand. So they now might say, okay, well, that's a different income bracket. You might not qualify for as much as we sent you. So that's a scenario where there is a discrepancy with you did get this amount, but based on your tax return, you weren't qualified for that amount. So that's where the true up has to happen. Mm. And the same thing can happen in reverse. You might have been, you might have gotten an amount based on income from last year. Your income was higher because times were different. And then it could be determined that you qualify for more because your income of the current year was in a different bracket. And so we would chew it up on that side as well. If that's what we just need to know what is actually the correct number. <laughs> okay. Okay, so so the STEMI hopefully will help more than it hurt on the back end. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like I tell people it's not going to be added as income, but it's kind of a wash with you receive the credit already. So you're going to get the benefit of having that applied, but you already received it. So you're not going to get the money back or anything because they already gave right. it to you, but it's still going to be factored into your tax liability calculation. Okay. And the same thing for the um, child tax credits. So in 2021, they decided to send those in advance. And so they were sending those monthly payments out. Yeah. And so you're going to be getting letter 6419. And that's going to be, it's going to do the same thing. Because obviously for them to figure out what you should be getting in your child tax credit, that's going to be based on the information that they had from the prior year. 
Um, so it's going to depend on the income sources. The only thing with the child tax credit is it gets a little bit more complicated because as you can imagine with the child tax credit, it's dealing with parents, children, who's allowed to claim each child, who has the custody and all that. So that is causing a little bit of an issue that you guys need to make sure that you're talking to your tax preparer with, because some parents do like alternating years of claiming the children. And so if one year, if it's based on that information, but that parent's not claiming it this year, but that parent is the one that got the credits. So that's gonna, I think that's gonna be a little bit more complex than the stimulus, but. Mm. This sounds very complex and I'm so (laughs) glad. Listen, that we have a professional here because I feel like we have already exceeded my limited uh, tax knowledge as a transactional attorney. So praise the Lord. I'm sure that other people are so excited. So as we kind of wrap up this interview and try to digest all this information today, what is your advice for preparing a tax strategy? Like what is a, how do you strategize about tax savings and what is it and how do we do it? Yep. So I want everybody to understand that the tax code is like 80,000 pages of law that's written there and it's written there to help you. Most people don't realize that there are things written into the tax code that can help them reduce their tax liability legally. So some things that people overlook is retirement accounts. Are you contributing to a retirement account? What type of retirement account are you contributing to? Some of these retirement accounts are going to give you tax benefits either now versus later. So you want to make sure that you're considering that. Health insurance is another thing. A lot of health insurance options are out there like the HSA. So that's recommended for a lot of people. If you're younger and you're healthy, the HSA is a great plan for you because it's going to give you tax benefits. And while it's high deductible, so it's a high deductible savings account for your health, it's high deductible. But if you're healthy, you you don't have a risk of having to hit that deductible. So you get the benefit of the account, but you don't have to hit the deductible. So it's a great option for healthier, um, healthier, younger individuals looking for ways to save on their tax liability. And so like, let's hold mm-hmm. on. <laughs> What's an HSA? So and, it's a health uh, yeah. savings account. Okay. And so what it is, it's basically a savings account for your health that you can contribute to. And as it grows, you then can use the funds when you hit a certain threshold in retirement age, you use those funds to pay for medical expenses. The reason that it's a good candidate for younger, healthier candidates is because it's high deductible. So the deductible for that is going to be higher than other savings accounts. So that might be a downfall for certain people who have medical expenses because you have to pay your deductible if you need the funds. Um, So it's benefit for if you're healthy and you don't have to hit that deductible. So you don't like you just have regular checkups. You're not going to have to hit your deductible. And it's beneficial because once you withdraw the funds and they're going to be tax free for you to use once you hit that age threshold, I'm going to say I think it's 59 and a half like all the other retirement accounts then you can use that for your medical costs, where the premise is that when you get that age is when you're gonna need to use those funds. And you now won't have to find funds somewhere for your medical needs because you'll have that account and those funds are gonna be able to pay for those medical needs. 
And you put the money in tax-free, I'm guessing. Yes. And, and you can you withdraw able, it tax-free? You withdraw it tax-free when you hit your age threshold. And the good thing with, with, an, with an HSA, depending on the custodial account, you can actually manage it. So you can decide how the funds are going to, what the funds are going to be put towards, so how it's going to grow. And so that's a great way for you to build the nest egg that you're going to need once you have to retire. Mm. Okay. So, so as part of our strategy, we should be thinking about our retirement accounts Mm -hmm. and how we can leverage those to pay less taxes and um, HSAs, any other things as like young 30 somethings that we can be thinking about, especially for me, because I'm a single woman with no children. And I know there's a lot of single people out there with no children who don't own homes. And it just feels like the tax code is not set up for us. Like just because we don't have children, we don't have homes and we don't have spouses. Like we still poor. What are we supposed to do? (laughs) So that's a great point. So I want to make sure that you're maximizing your contributions to your retirement accounts. If your employer offers a match, make sure that you're at least you're doing that so that you can get the maximum amount from the employer side. There are other retirement accounts that you can have outside of your retirement accounts at your job. So you can look at Roth accounts. So those are going to be helpful. Your, like we said, the health accounts, you want to make sure that you are considering your health in the future. So how is that going to be taken care of? So you want to make sure that you look into those. So when you say look into putting money there, so when I put my money in a Roth or the HSA or what have you, that's a deduction from my income. So yes, they deduct, it's a deduction from your income, depending on what account. So your Roth is going to be, you're going to be contributing that with after-tax dollars. So that's not going to be the deduction there, but your HSA is going to be a deduction because you're going to be contributing that. So that's one of the deductions. Then your accounts at your job. So your 401k, those are going to be deductions. You also want to make sure that I know you said not everybody doesn't have a business, but the tax code does favor businesses. So it's definitely something that you want to make sure that you can look into. Are you doing anything that generates extra income now? If you are, and you think it's kind of just a hobby, are you tracking the expenses that go with that? Because deductions are really how you reduce your tax liability when it comes to your business. So just looking at your specific situation and seeing how you can best manage anything that you're doing that's incurring an additional tax, you want to make sure that you're minimizing the taxes that you have to pay. Does your business have to be making money for you to implement the deductions? So the business has to be a business. A business is a business because you are doing the activity in order to generate a profit. So yes, when you start a business, you're going to incur a lot of losses that theoretically don't, they shouldn't be there every, the whole time that you're in business. So startup costs or startup losses are normal, but the government's not going to allow you to have a business or claim a business. And it's always going to be in a loss. So you do have to like worry about, having a business and it's consistently in a loss because then it's not a business. It's kind of a hobby. And then the government doesn't allow you to deduct losses from a hobby. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, this is helpful. This, this is a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. Taxes can be a lot. They can be, which is why we need people like you. And so 
when should we tap in a professional? Like, when do you say, girl, this is way over your head? You need so I think you should consider <laughs> speaking to a professional when your situation becomes more than you can handle. So I'm definitely, I'm one that I, I'm an advocate for DIY. If you can do it on your own, but I want you to take into consideration that things change. So under the Trump administration, that was the largest tax reform that I've ever seen in my career. And so that was this perfect time for you to speak to a professional because so many things changed that you might have been like, oh, I always do my taxes on my own. Yeah, but things are different this year. Mm-hmm. And then we got hit with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And that brought about a whole bunch of relief efforts that you might not have known how to handle that. A lot of people were recording, you know, the PPP funds, the e- EIDL grants, like they were recording them wrong. So they weren't reporting income as they should have been. They weren't recording the deductions as it should have been. So all of those scenarios put put into place where the past three years, you probably should speak with a professional to make sure that your situation <laughs> is correct. But typically if things are never changing and you have a situation that you know how to handle, DIY is fine. But the minute that something changes, the minute that something like you buy a home, you wanna make sure that you're doing everything correctly for that. Those are the times that I think you should at least consult a professional so that you make sure that you know, what's going on in your situation is being accounted for correctly. So in terms of cost, so if I were to try to DIY this, but I want to do it, you know, kind of professional, like what tools and resources would you recommend? And what is that cost? And then on the flip side, if I want to go ahead and work with the professional, what typically is like a reasonable range? Or how much that would cost. (laughs) I don't know how much the DIY software costs, but I mean, I would imagine that there's some free options out there that you can get, but I do want to advise people. So I get a lot of inboxes where people DIY and they they want me to review it, but the way the DIY systems are set up, we we don't have access. Like it doesn't give access to third parties to view it. So I'm not gonna be able to review what you have or what Mm. you input. So that's a difficulty with DIYing it and then wanting somebody to review it. To work with a professional, it doesn't have to be that expensive. It really depends on your situation. I think typical tax preparer fees start at about 300 for them to prepare it for you. So it really just depends on your situation and what you have on your actual tax return. Okay. Okay. That's, I guess, doable. If you have a tax preparer who is a partner who is helping you save money and helping to get you a good strategy. So if you were to, let's say we were to work with you, you know, for (laughs) example, is that something that you offer like counseling clients through what is the best steps that they can take to limit or minimize their tax liability and maximize their income potential? Like, is that something we would get if we work with you? Okay. So I definitely, we definitely offer that and we specialize in customized tax plans. So what that means is we actually look for how you can reduce your tax liability based on your situation, based on your goals. And we come up with a plan to give you at least five figure tax savings. I want to preface this that preparing tax returns is different than tax strategy. And so I think a lot of people have that miscommunication with a lot of their tax preparers, and then they get angry when they just told me in March that I owe this, but they didn't tell me how to reduce it. Because in March, when we're filing your tax return, it's too late to actually implement strategies. 
The strategies happen throughout the year. So you want to make sure that you're speaking with them throughout the year so that they know what the situation is, how to how you can reduce your taxes that way. For so sure. That's the difference. Yay. So if we do want to work with you, where can we find you? How do we work with you? Yeah. So uh, you guys can find me across social media at the Savvy Accountant. Um, I'll give my link so that you guys have an easy way to get to me. But um, Instagram is the social media platform that I'm on the most. But if you guys want to send an email info at the Savvy Co, I re- reply that way as well. Yes. And I have a tax toolkit. So I created a toolkit and it's for audiences that find me on platforms like this, where they kind of want the tax 101. And so it's a toolkit that has about six lessons, six courses in there for them to walk through different, different things that are tax effective. So what type of incomes are taxable, how taxes are impacted for diff- different income sources. And so that toolkit is available and you'll have the link. So you can put that link in the show notes. But yeah. that's an easy way for them to kind of get introduced to what taxes are. So it's kind of like my tax toolkit 101. Wonderful. I'll definitely include that in the show notes. And if you want to provide listeners with a discount code of sorts or something, we can include that as well. Like this has just been so educational and informational. I think I may need an aspirin to (laughs) after this. So I, oh my God, it's taking me back to uh, ninth grade algebra and tax class. And this just was not my ministry. So I'm so glad that we have people like you in this world who can sort through this for us because just the thought of wading through taxes, even preparing, like even getting my stuff together to give to the accountant is just like yeah. the bane of my existence every year. And so, so grateful to have you here because this is going to help and bless so many people as we go into tax season. So before I let you go, we have a little staple of the show that we call our sugar-free quickies. <laughs> <laughs> so sugar-free quickies are a series of either or questions that you have to answer either or there's no okay. both or none. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready? Oh, yeah. This is tough because I always tell people I don't do favorites. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're leaning towards one or yeah. the other, I'm going to just credit you with that. OK. <laughs> All right. So if you're married, should you file taxes separately or jointly? So I'm going to if it's either or it's going to be jointly because it's 99 percent of the time. That's the best scenario unless there's previous debt or previous situations that you want to make sure that you're curbing. Um, Mary filing joint is going to be the most beneficial in most cases. OK, that's good to know. So when you're filing your taxes, should we do it ourselves or hire a professional? So I'm going to say hire a professional to make sure that it's done correctly. <laughs> okay 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 so what is saving us more in taxes kids or house (laughs) (laughs) so right now i'm gonna say well it depends on what state you're in it's gonna be a house (laughs) if you want to if you're gonna be itemizing because your kids get you a decent buck but i mean it's still a limit so it depends on how many kids and depends on what state your house is in Okay. 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 A couple more. A traditional IRA or Roth IRA? So I'm going to say, make sure you do both, but you want to do your traditional and then your IRA if you had a choice. Mm. So if you had 
20,000, you probably would want to max out the traditional and then do the IRA, but that's more of an investment question and I'm not an investment manager or anything, <laughs> but that's what I would think. Okay. 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 Last question for your everyday streetwear, jeans or leggings? Leggings. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Leggings are such a blessing, aren't they? (laughs) I love them. I live in them. Same. We all do. Girl, I got someone. I'm uh, sugar-free on the top, leggings on the bottom. Definitely same here. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. This was such an educational conversation. I've learned so much and I feel like I've learned that I need more help. Like every time I have conversations with people on this show, I realize that I am doing life wrong and I need more help. And that is what I have discovered today. And so hopefully someone out there has realized the same thing and they will reach out and contact you or another professional who is licensed and certified to give some good tax advice so that we can be bringing up our wealth leaving more of our money in our pockets, and most importantly, lifting those generational curses, okay? So thank you guys so much again for tuning in this week for another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. Be sure to check back in again next week for another great episode, plenty of real talk, and of course, more of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends, and be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar free. Meet small business owner, Mackenzie Nicole. Mackenzie's business is growing and she needs forms and templates to legally protect her business from clients, partners, and employees. But she's low on cash and needs to find forms and templates that are legally binding and comprehensive, yet affordable. Not knowing where to find such forms and templates, Mackenzie was stressed until she found Formally Forms, the one-stop DIY legal shop for small business owners, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs. All Formally Forms are affordable, easy to use, and expertly drafted by a licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So what are you waiting for? Be like Mackenzie and get your Formally Form or template today.